Hi, everybody. I often have really inspirational guests on this podcast, but today was a super special, inspirational episode that really kind of got me sort of pumped. (laughs) So Will Turner stopped by the podcast today. He started out with a goal to do six iron distance triathlons for his 60th birthday. And I don't want to spoil the ending, but he kind of went on to do 105 (laughs) in two years after his 60th. Um, So the story is just absolutely incredible. Um, I I loved so much of Will's advice. This is a great show if you're feeling a little stuck or you think you have a lot of excuses that are just standing in your way. Like He has an amazing mannerism and ability to, to... make you believe in yourself. And I really enjoyed this chat with him. So go check out his website, liveyourbold.com. It's where you can find a copy of their book, the coffee table book, um, Journey to 100. And just enjoy this inspirational episode with Will Turner. Today's episode is brought to you by Active Detergent. Isn't it awesome to have a laundry detergent commercial? I feel very 1980s right now. But here, here's the thing. So listen, for real, for real. So you know when you're working out and you start to smell your sports bra <laughs> and like after 10 minutes, it starts smelling like you've never washed it. And here's the thing. We're not that gross. It's just today's activewear has synthetic fabrics that are made from tightly woven technical fibers, and it traps in bacteria, oils, and dead skin cells. Totally gross, right? But traditional laundry detergents struggle to clean these technical fibers. So I have found active detergent. It works differently. It's made without the things that are in traditional laundry detergents. There's no dyes, softeners, phosphates, SLS fragrances, 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 or other nasty chemicals. Instead, Active is scientifically formulated using an all-natural blend of enzymes to get into those crevices and break down the oils, dirt, and dead skin cells to truly clean your sports bras, your leggings, your bike shorts, etc. So I really love this detergent. I have promised you guys that I will not advertise anything anywhere that I do not love. I love this. (laughs) I heart it very much. It has actually, I had sports bras that were about to go in the trash, and then I use this detergent, and they smell like new. I'm serious. So if you don't believe me, try it anyway. No harm. No harm in trying. So go to activedetergent.com. Use my discount code. Yes, that's right. 20% off their website. Use the code SWIMBIKEMOM altogether. SWIMBIKEMOM. 20% off, free shipping to try it for yourself, and say goodbye to those stinky sports bras. And now, on to our show. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although, right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. (laughs) 
So let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I am your host, Meredith Atwood. I have quite a guest today. Will Turner is here. Hello, Will. Oh, Meredith. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good, good. So before we got on the recording, I confirmed with Will his feats of strength (laughs) that he has accomplished. And that is what we're going to talk about today. But the summary is 105 iron distance triathlons in the course of two years. And he's in his 60s. So that is the summary. Um, this I feel like the theme of this episode might be you're never too old or never too young. And it all, you know, all the things that go with that, uh, the excuses, because I have a feeling you really don't have any excuses <laughs> in your repertoire. Am I correct? <laughs> I, I do my best to eliminate them. Yes. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of time. Where did you come from and how did you get to this this place of, of trying this incredible feat? Okay, um, first I want to just put it out there that I am not this natural, gifted, amazing athlete. You know, I, I started from very humble beginnings, didn't really, I, I had a farm accident when I was in a junior high and basically the bottom of my foot got split open and it was pretty bad and I had trouble just walking and that sort of stuff for a while. Um, so, you know, in, I played little league sports and wasn't very good at most of them, but <laughs> junior high and high school, I didn't play any sports. So I wasn't this natural jock or this athlete, didn't play any sports in college. Um, started doing some running, um, in my twenties and, um, did, Worked my way up to a half marathon where I ended up in the hospital <laughs> for dehydration. So, well, first of all, what made you start running? Because I find that people usually gravitate toward running out of you know. There's a reason. Why did you Why did you start running? I, you know, there wasn't any anything that triggered it. I there. I just thought. I, I mean, I I liked running. I didn't run seriously at all, but I decided in my mid to late twenties that I wanted to do a half marathon. I thought that'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, you know, this <laughs> internet. you don't have like, you couldn't just look up the information readily um, on the internet. And, and I thought, well, I'll, you know, I, I know the distance I'll just, you know, get some runs in and I didn't do a very good job, but I mean, I, <laughs> I got up to like nine or 10 miles for a long run. And I thought I'll just, you know, get through the, the last, you know, three miles or so on the race. That's sure. always my strategy. Always, it you know, get, was, was a get about 75% and then, uh, then, uh, you know, gut out the rest. That's totally my strategy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it turned out that this particular race, it was the hottest race day in their history. And I didn't knew nothing about hydration or any of that stuff. I ended up collapsing about a mile <laughs> from the finish line from dehydration and getting taken to the hospital to get IVs. So, I mean, I, I wasn't off to an auspicious start at all. Um, fast forward um, probably four or five years, and I was on the board of a local uh, nonprofit that put on uh, 5K. So I started running races as part of the, the you know team that was putting on the race and that sort of stuff. And then um, when I was 
probably 34, 35. I ended up doing my first triathlon, did a sprint distance triathlon, did a couple sprint and Olympics and just, um, that led to other things that led to marathons eventually. Marathons led to Ironmans. Ironmans led to ultra triathlon events, which are multi Ironman distance races, which led to 105 Ironmans in two years. <laughs> but it was, you know, lots of, lots of learning along the way and lots of failures along the way to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of your failures along the way? Okay. Um, well, besides my auspicious start with uh, you know, besides the half marathon. <laughs> well, my first three of my first um, probably four or five marathons, I ended up in the medic tent or the hospital. <laughs> you sound me, like my husband. I got to figure things out. Um, I I really battled with dehydration a lot, so that was my biggest nemesis. That took me forever to to wrap my head, hands around. I would I would. I, you know, I learned to take in salt tablets and, and electrolytes. I learned to take in more fluids, but my body needed more than what I was taking in. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but but then I started getting the hang of it, started learning and, you know, failing myself forward um, and decided that I would, um, you know, go after an Ironman when I turned 50 years old. But along the way, just to back up a second, you know, after my, I think after my first Iron Man, um, you know, a very close friend of mine said, I, I hope you learned your lesson. <laughs> really strong. Yeah. And I was like, well, I learned that I don't know very much. And I learned that I need to work harder and learn more so I can get better. And so that's, that's been my motto ever since is just, uh, you know, do the hard stuff and put in the work and then learn and use that as a growth opportunity so that you can attack the next, you know, goal. Right, right. And for anyone who's listening that is new to the podcast or doesn't know what triathlon is, so let's rewind that for a second. So triathlon is a sport of swimming, cycling, and running. And when Will's talking about iron distance, that is a 2.4. Is that right? Why do I even forget that? (laughs) I have erased it from my memory. 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon. So 26.2 mile run is what we're talking about when we talk about Iron Man, half Iron Man is just like the name, half the distance. So, um, when you signed up for your first, what did you go into it being like bucket list item, one and done? Because that's what I did. I said, I'm going to do one. Yeah. And that will be plenty. And so my coach had said, well, make sure you do it somewhere beautiful and yeah. not, he's like, don't pick an easy Iron Man, which we all know that's an oxymoron, but he's yeah. like, Pick a hard one. So when people ask you which one you did, you can be like, yeah, I did Coeur d'Alene. So Coeur d'Alene, Idaho was my first one. And I was, (laughs) I was certain that was going to be it. I mean, but just like you said, you do one, you're like, I can't believe I did that. I could do that better. Um, Let's keep going. My first one was so transformative, not just the race itself, but everything leading up to it. I turned 50. I was overcoming a, uh, an injury that I had I, about a year prior, a uh, year and a half prior, that was a patella tendon injury. And I was training for the marathon. I mean, I was actually training for the Ironman and got through a year of training and went, my first was in New Zealand. Oh, so wow. 
and and I turned 50 years old. I I was um, I was actually 51 because I had to with the recovery from the patella tendon tear. I had to put everything off a year. So anyway, the year I turned 51, I ended up going to New Zealand, and I ended up staying over there for like six weeks. And one of my best friends, who I started running and doing triathlons with years earlier, 25 years earlier, lived in New Zealand. So I had a place to go, a place to stay, and use that time to just really disconnect from my world and my life and really examine what I wanted in the next phase of my life. And so the Ironman was all part of that journey, but it, it just, it left me a very different person than mm. when I marketed it. And that just ignited something in me that kind of kept me on this path. I found that the, the thing that I love about the endurance side of endurance racing is that it pushes you. It's hard and no matter- And boring. How, <laughs> and boring like I always notate that because a lot of times people say well um how do you sit on a bike for six hours well you get bored you you learn to be friends with boredom <laughs> well, you, you, or you do a lot of self-reflection and, and, right. and thinking and processing and um thinking yeah, yeah I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't train with with um you know music or earbuds or and and I don't because you can't race that way. And right. people say, how can you, how can you not be you know, on the bike for you know, six, seven hours? You're not listening to anything? It's like, no. But not I outside. I don't understand people in their earbuds on the bike. Well, one, danger, danger. But on a trainer, you still don't listen? No, no. Because no. I figure I can't do it in a race. So why practice on a trainer? No, I don't. But I don't ascribe to that philosophy. <laughs> I go, it's just one day race day. Training days are 364. <laughs> I, I, I really like that, that just unpluggedness of not doing it. You know, just having that alone time with yourself. Um, wow. When you're outside and you're in nature and, you know, there's a stream of consciousness that's going on, but there's, and some of it's, you know, just busy chatter, but a lot of it's just, you know, I, I take time to just focus on gratitude. You know, I take time to be thankful of the people that are supporting me and the opportunity that I get to do this and just taking in the beauty of what my surroundings are. So I, I find it very healing. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm, I'm glad not to have the, the distraction. I, I get it on the outside, but I, I don't know. I think I got to argue with you on the train. <laughs> I, I, I don't do much of the I get outside. You, know, you get outside. Time, so. Well, there you go. There you go. Okay. So you did your first, you did your first Ironman. And yeah. then 10 years later, you started this, this crazy, I'm just going to say it's crazy, crazy journey oh, to do 105. Well, that um, was the original plan. Oh, so, let me tell you the original plan. <laughs> yes. And so, then the progression too. Cause like from, you know, yeah. Right. So after the first Ironman, I decided that I wanted to continue. I wanted to do, I thought doing one like every other year would be a great thing. So two years later, I did Coeur d'Alene and then, and then I decided. The only bike course that's totally uphill yeah. for 112 miles. <laughs> that's my memory of it. I don't know what yours is. <laughs> and, and then um, I was on, I was still going to do one, another one in two years. So I did um, Ironman. Um, at that time, Lake Tahoe, which is no longer available, but 2013, it was Ironman Lake Tahoe. Then the, the one where there was snow. Yes. 
That's why it was only there one year, wasn't it? One year? It was, no, it was there um, two, oh, okay. three years, I think. Oh, like, okay. That's three. But that's snow. Yeah, it snowed the night before. It was crazy. I mean, literally, I was standing on the beach ready to, to start the, the Ironman that morning, and it was like 30 some degrees outside. It was, it was crazy. So one of the competitors wore his wetsuit on the bike because it was so cold. He didn't want to put his regular. I, I bet he felt really smug until about mile 30, and then he was probably. The only reason I know about him is about climbing a, a, one of the bigger hills on the bike course, probably about mile um, 50. He was stripping it off because he was so hot. So he made it about <laughs> that far before he started disrobing. But um, So I, I then I had a friend that I met in New Zealand who wanted to do Ironman Boulder the first year they did it. That was 2014. So that got me doing back-to-back, year to year, two in, a, two in a row. And then I heard about a double Ironman or a double anvil race, which is a double iron distance race. And um, I volunteered for that. And then I, in 2016, no, in 2015, I did that race. So I, I upped the Annie. I'll, so yeah. double Ironman for those who, who aren't good at math. Point eight miles, <laughs> well, two hundred twenty-four mile bike and a fifty-two point whatever four mile run. Yes. There, from from there, I decided I'd do a quintuple. Oh, stop it! I was going to say, what are you going to do? Quintuple, and you did. Yes, quintuple, quintuple is a twelve mile swim. A uh, 560 mile bike and a 131 mile run. Now, how long does that take? It's a, one. The six day race. Six so, days. Talk about my biggest failures. It's a 703 mile race. I ran out of time at 696 miles. <gasps> you did. Yeah. So I, I completed 99% of it, but did not cross the finish line. Oh, and, and that's just too hard to. Did you do it? Did you try again? No. Okay, I was going to say, because I feel like you can I go got, back and do got, an Ironman, but like... But, but it, I had to dig deeper on that race than I ever have in my life. And I, I, it transformed me more than... Failing actually helped me much more than I, if I had succeeded. I mean, I really look back at that being a, a real flexion point going, you know, I tested myself to my limit. I gave it everything I could. But what can I learn from this experience? And I learned that I had more grit and more, you know, you always don't know how far you can test yourself. And I've never gone to that limit before. I mean, I pushed myself hard. I never got to the point where I'm asking myself with every step I'm making, can I take another step? You know, because every step hurts so badly that I was literally at the, for the last like 36 miles of my race hunched over i had my back was knotted up i mean i could barely walk um and each step was painful and and i just i could have quit a long time before i did i quit when i ran out of time i didn't quit you know right i i was in miserable shape but that taught me that i had more grit in me than i ever realized i knew i was pretty gritty (laughs) You know, if, say I, so. if I've got a superpower, that's it. 
Your grit. Yeah. I'm pretty gritty too. I'm not your gritty, but I mean, I had a similar experience. Um, I went into Lake Placid in 2015, best shape of my life. I knew I was going to sub 14, which would be great for me, by the way. Um, and maybe like my goal was like 1330. I think I got a 1330 in me. Um, anyway, I got knocked, I got really bold on the swim, got on the cable. Um, and I got out of the water in like an hour six. So it was, but I got knocked around. Yeah. bad on the swim you know foot to the jaw got, and right. so i got on the bike and like lights were out like on the right eye i couldn't really see out of my right eye and i was like this is fine i'll be fine and it just kind of unraveled from there and then um i got i was in you know because i was racing that race so i didn't take the time to do the smart things that you know to do like dry off your feet put on fresh socks i just like went right like i was some pro some <laughs> superhero and so what ended up happening is I ended up getting blisters on the bike, it, yeah. you know, on the bike. So I take off on the run and I realize like the pads of my feet, both of them are completely obliterated, like uh. blisters starting the run. And I was like, oh, no, this <laughs> this is bad. And I started running and I thought, oh, if I run, I'm going to bust these things open. So yeah. I started walking and. I was like, I'm going to have to walk this whole marathon. Oh, you know, I told my husband, I ran into him on the course. I said, I'm quitting. And he said, you're quitting. And I said, yes, I'm not. I, I can't run. And he goes, okay, so what are you going to tell your blog audience that you quit because of blisters? <laughs> and I was like, I don't like you. You're not a nice person. And I went off and I ended up walking 26.2 miles. keeping my and And my Garmin died with two miles left. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I rolled in with 16 minutes to spare. And I look back on that race and that's, you know, it pales into compare in comparison to your grit. But for me that I'm the most proud of that race, it was supposed to be my greatest. It was my worst. Um, But it was that moment where, you know, you, I left it all out there, (laughs) you know, on every step. And yeah, I mean, those are the moments where you go, okay, I know what I'm made of. Right. Me personally, yeah. So be, after the quintuple failure, um, <laughs> I I also getting ready for the quintuple. Basic, well, back up three years before I, I turned sixty, I decided I wanted this VHAG, a big hairy audacious goal for when I turned sixty. So the doing the quintuple was part of my three year plan to get ready for doing sixty when I turned sixty years old. And, um, okay. So that was the plan 60 for 60, 60 at 60. Well, not the original plan. So uh, the original plan (laughs) was to do six the year I turned 60. And I thought that would be amazing. Six Ironmans the year I turned 60 because up to that. Yeah. So I I go, I'm a coach and I I had, there was a local triathlon going on in Richmond, Virginia and where I live. And I was coaching a few of the athletes who were competing and so I was just out there to spectate and cheer them on. And I run into a friend of mine. And this friend is another athlete. She was just out there volunteering and, and, and supporting as well. And she said, Will, you got any big race plans coming up? And I just literally, like the week before, thought about what am I going to do when I turn 60? It was still three years off. And I said, I'm thinking about doing six Ironmans a year I turn 60. And her immediate matter-of-fact response was, oh, like Psalm. Psalm's a local triathlete in my triathlete community. 
who had turned 60 a couple of years before and done six Ironman. And I didn't know him. I knew who he was. I didn't know his story. I didn't know. I knew he did Ironman, but I didn't know he had done six when he turned 60. And all of a sudden, all the wind just got you know, sucked out of my sails. It's like, I thought this was his humongous goal. Oh but, you know, who else at 60 would do this? And, you know, I, I applaud. That Sauce. guy down the road, that guy. Road, the first person <laughs> I wanted to do it. And so I, I went back home and I'm just like, you know, I just kind of deflated. And it's like, I don't think I can do six now. I got to I got to up my game. When I was training for Ironman New Zealand, I had this quote that I ran across. I'm sure you've heard before, which says, if your dream isn't big, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. Right. And I, I had that on a, a sticky pad and I looked at it every day and I thought, you know, maybe my dream isn't big enough, you know, because <laughs> and 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 so I started just playing with the idea and eventually I landed on 60, you know, because I'm turning 60 to do 60 Ironmans and it scared the crap out of me, which, is, you know, fit the litmus test. If it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. So I'm like, hey, this is perfect. But I. I wasn't at that point. I wasn't convinced that it was even possible. You know, the, the world record for most Ironmans in a year is 44. So by somebody who's a lot younger than 60 years old, and I'm thinking, you know, is this even possible? So the year I did my quintuple, I also did 20 on your own Ironmans just as training, just so I could do Ironmans and without the pressure of a race, but just feel see how my body responded be able to adapt to whatever I needed to adapt to and, and make adjustments along the way. So that's what I started doing in 2016, 2017, so that when I got to January of 2018, I was ready to launch into the 60 at 60, which I did. That's, you know, for those of us who aren't very good with dates, that's a little more than one a week. Yeah. <laughs> One point one seven a week. Five days, yeah, to to hit one that. every five days. One every six days. I'm sorry. One every six days to to hit that. I think so. All right. So, what? I don't even know where to start with this. Why don't you tell me what you want to tell me? So that drives me crazy when interviewers interview me, and I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to tell you this story. So why don't you tell me? this story what what stuck with you what what did you get out of it and then why did you keep going <laughs> that's one question i want answered <laughs> right so i mean the journey was amazing i mean it was it was hard but i signed up for hard you know i knew i was going to get hard and 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 so after every race i would write a race report and um i somebody locally I saw them. I was doing a local speaking engagement um, after the the sixty, and somebody said, "You know, as I read your race report, there was always something that you were battling. You know, it was wind or rain or you know hot weather or you know something going wrong mechanically on your. You know, there's always things that happen. And when you do a you know Ironman, as you know, that things are going to happen. Thing, you know, you can plan it out as be as best trained as you can be, just like your like placid experience and things are going to happen that you don't expect and you have to get through it. You have to battle through it. You have to figure a way to get over it around it, you know, and at this point in my endurance racing career, I have, you know, battled about everything I can battle, you know, <laughs> usually more I'm than sure. one. And did you see any bears? I did. I mean, see, I, that's all of them. <laughs> I, 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 I 
I ran and biked by bears and moose and um, what other scary things? I mean, I swam <laughs> with sharks and alligators and stingrays. Stop. And I mean, so I, I had some very harrowing experiences along the way. In what the kind desert. of sharks? <laughs> This is like all the triathletes listening are like, no, 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 no. Because we all have the fear of getting in the water and seeing the shark. I I mentioned before our call that, you know, I had to do a lot of on your own races because there's not 60 actual races in the world. Right. Much less the country in a year. So I did some actual races and then most of the races were on your own. So I would go to these different locations and do races. And I had um, my partner. Chris, who is, I call my Uber Sherpa, because he's like this Sherpa extraordinaire who traveled with me and helped me set up courses and was the like logistical backbone of where I go. The problem with picking Chris as my Uber Sherpa is that he is an incredible cyclist and he loves cycling in mountains. And <laughs> for him to sign on, he said, you know, he wanted to be able to have a choice in where we went and pick some really epic locations, which to him meant that we were going to the mountains. Oh, no. You know, epic locations. And so I was not only doing these races every six days, I was doing them in the San Juan Mountains, in the Colorado Rockies, <laughs> in, in you know, you know Yosemite and, and uh, Grand Tetons and um, Denali in Alaska and just I mean, we went to some of the most amazing places in the country and also in Canada, but we were often in these places of higher elevation. I was doing a lot of climbing on the bike and on the run. So in addition to having to do an Ironman, I was doing these Ironmans that were really, really you know, <laughs> up the level of what it, what you want an Ironman to be. You, know? you should have picked me to be your Sherpa. I'd have had us going around the mall parking lot. <laughs> I like the boredom. <laughs> yeah, let's get some black horses here. You know, I, I, was, I told him for the longest time he was trying to kill me. Um, yeah. But, but the reality is that because we went to these epic places, I mean, the scenery was amazing. Um, it just it just took the experience to a whole new level. And um, one of the reasons, well, so so we, we traveled all over the country and did that, right? One of the things I did in conjunction with the journey was I wanted to make sure that when I did it, it wasn't just about me, this crazy guy going off doing Ironmans all over the country. I wanted to find a way to give back to other people in the journey. And my professional background is training and development from a a corporate standpoint, leadership, Mm -hmm. sales training, that sort of thing. So I'm used to working with people and helping them set goals and reach, you know, more of their potential and that sort of stuff. And I'm also a USAT certified triathlon coach. So I'm more used to working with athletes. So my the convergence of those two is really helping people break through their limiting beliefs and, and push through the status quo in their comfort zones and, and do more, achieve more, right? So I thought, how can I bring that to the forefront in a way that's going to help more people? And so I started a movement that I call Live Your Bold. And as I traveled around the country doing my Ironmans, I would go and talk to school groups and kids and and cross-country teams and whatever worked out along the the path to, you know, share that message, Um, which was really, you know, it it fed my soul as I was doing this stuff because it was a way to to give back. And I had never 
had that, particularly with the kids that I work yeah. with. I, I have a daughter, but I never had worked with a group of kids before. And, um, you know, just there was one teacher up in upstate New York who um, emailed or messaged me. Um, she was following me on Facebook through a cycling group. And she messaged me early, well, uh, I guess in the summer of 2018, where I was already on my journey. And she said that she was a, a you know, a fourth grade teacher and she worked in a very um, socioeconomically depressed area or economically depressed area. And that a lot of her kids came from one, you know, single family households. There was a lot of unemployment. There was a lot of drug use. There was a lot of issues. And these kids didn't have good role models. And, you know, she wondered if I would mind sharing my story or she sharing my story with her kids to help, you know, inspire them along the way. Because it's some of the things that she was teaching and lessons to them to help them aspire to more kind of fit along with my story. And she's like, do you mind if I share your story? I'm like, of course I don't mind. You know, right. and, and so we, you know, but then I got back in touch with her. I said, you know, Adrian, is there, is there a way for us to make this more impactful for your kids? And so we started brainstorming, you know, throughout the year, what can we do to, you know, have more of a meaningful impact for their kids? And at one point in the journey, we were doing an Ironman in Vermont. And oh and, gosh, I was just there. That was a fun one, I bet. Yeah, I did one in <laughs> Stowe and started in Stowe and ended That's in where Woodstock, we were. Ended in Woodstock. And that's um, mountainous. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you, that's pretty much everywhere I went. It was mountains. <laughs> wow. But um, but anyway, at, at one point we were about five and a half hours from um Messina, New York, which is where this school was with these kids. And I told Chris, I said, we've got to go to the school. We've got to go and, and see those kids. And so we made a detour on our, you know, our routes to go see the kids, speak to the kids, meet Mrs. Hartman in, in her classroom and just really have a, a great time with them. And then continued that interaction with the kids long at, you know, throughout the course of their school year. Um, oh, so that's that, cool. So that part of the journey that doesn't get talked about very much was really, you know, something that, that fed me, you know, when I did the Ironman in New Zealand, and then I had that stay in New Zealand for six weeks afterwards, it really kind of helped transform me. One of the things I realized in that downtime was I went to New Zealand to do this Ironman. The whole reason I was doing this Ironman was I realized it was to feed my ego. Mm. And the reason I realized that is because I was going to get an Ironman tattoo after I finished the Ironman, right? Which, and I started thinking as soon as the Ironman was done and I had a great race, I, I didn't want the tattoo anymore. And, and the reason why was I realized pretty quickly, I said, you know, I, I realized people get tattoos for all sorts of reasons and, and I don't fault anybody for wanting to get a tattoo or getting a tattoo. But I realized that I wanted one, you know, the typical Iron Man tattoo on my calf or something. So people would notice it and say, Oh, you did an Iron Man. And, and that I realized was only to feed my ego, mm -hmm. you know? And I said, and, and what I did realize in that whole journey was that while I wanted to go feed my ego, what the process did for me was it actually nurtured my soul. And, 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 and so my journey for the last 10 years since New Zealand has been to use 
endurance sports and what I'm doing to feed my, to nurture my soul and feed my soul and not my ego. So any way I can do that, help <clears throat> other people along the way, you know, that's, that's what gets me jazzed up and excited. Yeah. And, and, and helping people break through those limiting beliefs and, and those, those things that hold them back so they can become a better version of themselves. That, you know, that to me is, you know, why, why it's so important. And yeah. if, I, if I can demonstrate that, if I can showcase that and, and inspire somebody else to push through something that they didn't know they could push through. And it doesn't have to be an Ironman, as you know. I mean, I've had, I had a, a woman who is my age, 60 years old, um, and she reached out to me. She said, Will, I've been following your journey. And she had recently started getting around in a motorized little scooter thing because she had some health issues and had trouble walking. She could walk, but it was difficult for her. It was hard. And she said, I want you to know because of what you're doing, I ended up walking not one mile, but two miles. And it was the longest she had walked in probably a couple decades. Wow. And, you know, that, that to me is like, you know, that's, that's the gold right there. You know, right. If, if that can have that kind of ripple effect, um, then, then I'll do as many as I have to. Right. And that's, that's so interesting you say that because I, um, I sort I stopped doing triathlon and that the irony is I'm swim bike mom. And like, oh. I did a whole brand around this gig of, but it started because I was significantly overweight with two kids under two and stressed out. And I hadn't moved my body, even though I was a, a weightlifter in high school, I had no endurance experience. And so the ego thing that you mentioned was really a part of my story in a, in a different sort of angle. But, you know, I wanted to do the Ironmans to prove right. I was worthy right. because I was overweight and I did all my Ironmans overweight and I'm still kind of chubby. And it's, it's this, it was this whole proving myself that I was worth to right. be a part of this community. And it, but what came out of it was a whole lot of useful knowledge for getting people off the couch. And, and I wrote a book that the triathlon book to help people move forward. And so the byproduct of my journey is, right. has that heart moment. And so I still love beginner triathletes. I still love people starting a fitness journey, but right. I kind of had to disengage from the sport. And I don't talk about this part of it so much, but because it became such an ego problem for me <laughs> in a lot of ways, like yeah. um, good and bad. And as far good, positive, but part of sure. it all crosses over, you know, and you have to, yeah. well, why am I doing this? You know? And part of it too was, you know, maybe I had a reverse problem ego was, is that I just wasn't good. <laughs> you know, I finished every race I've ever started. I, I get my money's worth to the yeah. time, you know, but I wasn't good. And so you can, you can go so far and right. it starts to just kind of bum you out. Like I just was so tired of putting in so much time and not getting faster. And it's also a physics issue. It's like, okay, well, if I lost 40 pounds, this would be a lot easier, but I really like my ice cream. Um, but the ego is so, so interesting because I think it often can be such a great spark. Right. Um, but as long as you keep that part in check and, and go, okay, why am I really doing this? And how can I help people? Um, just like, just like you, you, you're very in tune with it. And I think that's where we get out of control as humans in general, right? Is when the ego runs away. <laughs> so let me go back. So I, I ended up doing 60 when I turned 60, right? So mm -hmm. let me back up here. The, so my first race 
was an official race. It was a hits brand race, mm-hmm. full distance, Ironman distance. That was in Naples, Florida on January 6th of 2018. So I, I drove down to Florida. Chris and I drove down to Florida to do that for me to do that race. And I turned 60 on January 7th. So literally hours after the race was over, I turned 60 years old. So I talked to my grown daughter. She lives in Charlotte after the race. And she goes, Dad, that one doesn't count. <laughs> Leave it to the kids. Oh, exactly. They ruin it. It <laughs> doesn't count. She goes, you weren't 60. Oh, stop. <laughs> and I always said that I was going to do 60. The way I interpreted 60 at 60 was 60 the year I turned 60. But she was holding me to the letter going, you weren't 60. It doesn't count. So I did 60. There actually was a big celebration here in Richmond on my 60th one um, that ended in a, a stadium and I had lots of friends and supporters that came out and cheered me on on the last couple laps of my run type thing. And then two or three days later in, in the pouring rain, while I was still 60 years old, I went out and did a 61st one so I could shut my daughter up. <laughs> So every time I talk, because I would talk to her throughout the year, you know, and I'd call her and, and she, I'd say, oh, I just finished one in, you know, wherever. And she'd say, I'd say, I finished number 42. She'd go 41. <laughs> well, she wasn't dropping it. <laughs> so I ended up doing a 61st one. So I had 60 while I was 60 years old. Oh, so my gosh. That, I, I thought at that point, all done. You know, mission accomplished. Yeah. Yahoo, <laughs> no injuries, all the, all the stuff, you know. So New Year's Day, Chris, my Uber Sherpa, looks at me and he, we're having a conversation. He says, we're not done. <laughs> you and go, I'm, Chris, we're I'm, done. I'm looking at him like incredulously like, what the heck are you talking about? We, we're done. We finished. We did it. Yay. You know? And he said, I don't think we're done. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I think you need to do more. I'm like, why do I need to do more? Chris, what's it going to take, man? And, and, and as we continued talking, he said, you know, what was happening in the journey, us re- the live your bold part, the reaching more kids and, and having more of an impact. He said, you know, we did that and that was great. But I think, you know, now we were just starting to get some PR and, and that sort of stuff, yeah. get a bigger platform. And he said, you know, now you're getting this bigger platform and you can reach so many more people. And I just was like looking and probably getting the, the stink out. <laughs> no. And, and eventually I said, you know what? There's two things that would get me to do more. And that would be one, we had done a lot in our national parks and we love the national parks. And at that point, there was a lot of, with the current administration, there were a lot of cutbacks to the national parks. There was a lot of, you know, things that were going on that I didn't like. And I thought if I can raise awareness for the national parks, that would be awesome. And if I can reach out to more kids and have a more of a, you know, more emphasis on the live your bold message, then those are two things that I can get behind. So yeah. within a week or so, I had agreed to let's take this to 100. We'll do 100. You know, we'll add. So you had like a week off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I had actually more than a week off. So, so we decided that we're going to con- start the journey back up and, I was going to go to 100. So I'm thinking that, you know, at this point, I'd already done the 61st one, you know, at the beginning of the year. So I only had 39 more to go. (laughs) 
Easy. Yeah. Compared to the year before, this was going to be a piece of cake. So we start our journey. We go out to Death Valley for our first one or our first away from Richmond one of the new year. And it was early February. Um, turns out that, that Chris is having some issues. Um, and he goes to the doctor and he gets a diagnosis, eventually gets a diagnosis that he's got cancer. And, and he had a kidney cancer. Oh, so literally at that point, we put a pause on everything and go, you know, you need to get, you know, we need to get past this. You need to get healthy. The journey doesn't matter. You know, your health and your life matter. And so we put everything on hold. He went through all the testing, all the pre-surgery stuff. He ended up having his sur- a kidney removed and and then having to recover from the, the surgery. Luckily, because it was all contained in his kidney. He didn't need radiation or chemotherapy, which was, you know, a blessing. Um, but we ended up taking four months off to deal with that whole incident mm-hmm. and worrying about life and, and being very thankful for life and, and not taking anything for granted. At the end of it, at the end of that four months, Chris was like, and we talked about it before, but Chris was like, we need to get back out there. We need to finish what we started. And I'm like, are you sure you're game for this? And he's like, yeah. And he said, I want to go bigger and bolder. You know, <laughs> we offered cancer. We can't just, you know, we need to make, take this as far as we can take it. So there were a couple of places that we hadn't gone in the year before that we really wanted to make to, but just logistically, we could make it happen. And one was going to Alaska and going to Denali, which is the largest peak. You know, he loves mountains. So he wanted to go to the the biggest mountain in the North America. And let me do an Ironman. Of course. <laughs> so literally, we, we did a route that took us through Washington State and Cascade and um, the Olympia National Park. And then we went up to Whistler and did one there. Had a, lots of bear sightings up there. Including yes. On my bike ride, kind of going literally within about three feet of a bear who stood up on the side of the road that I didn't see until I was passing him. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, Canada was on my list. Like if I was going to do a fifth, I was going to do Canada. And then I heard all the bear stories and I was like, cause, and I know I was, you know, I'm slow and I'm like, I'm going to be the only one out there. And that, that marathon and the bear is going to get me. I'm out. Like I got to get faster before I do Canada. <laughs> but we just, I mean, we did one in Banff national park and, wow. Canada and Jasper national park. And then we did some, just some epic location ones. Of course, they're all super hard because they're in the mountains. But so, so the, the goal was to get to 100, but I had a four-month hiatus. So now I was on a path of doing them even a little bit more than what I had done the year before as far as frequency because I had basically four months where I didn't do much of anything. So by the time we got to we, – we hit we're hitting fall foliage on the trip and – going to Vermont and I was on, you know, on the bike for, you know, six, seven hours, you know, and thinking about, you know, at that point it was October of 2019. The journey was, you know, coming to the the final leg. And I thought, you know, I've done, I did 60 in 2018, which beat the world record, which is 44. If I did 45 in 2000, 
19, that would break the world record of 44, two consecutive years. <laughs> so without telling anybody, I decided at that point that I was going to do 105 Ironmans instead of 100. So I did my 100 and told everybody I was done. And then I ended up doing five more just for myself. Just, to, and, you know, so my ego is still not dead. <laughs> Our ego is never dead, but I I, I have to do the extra five, but I ended up using those extra five. I did them between New Year's Eve and and New Year's, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve of 2019. And at that point, Chris had gone up to visit his family in upstate New York. I was going to Christmas in Charlotte to visit my daughter. So I did one Christmas Eve, went down Christmas Day to spend it with my daughter and her fiance. And then drove back to Richmond the following day. The next day I did two back-to-back Ironmans, skipped a day or two and did two back-to-back to get two in before the end of the year. So I ended up getting the 105 in, you know, total. So. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Wow. It, are you done now? <laughs> <laughs> I am done for now. I mean, I, the funny thing is I promised myself that I would not do any races in 2020 because I just wanted to, you know, just process and focus on other things that get ignored when you're traveling around for two right. years. And, you know, then the pandemic hits and there's no races. So it's like, isn't that a good time? <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. That's but, uh, amazing. Wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll do more, but I'm, I mean, I have no, you know, I, I, I'll, when I turn 70. Oh no. <laughs> I've, already, I've already determined that my BHAG is going to be, 70, 70.3. So 70 half Ironmans a year, I turn 70. So in between now and then, who knows? I'll, I'll see what I feel like doing. That sounds good. I, I feel like that that feels much better. <laughs> More manageable. Of course, who knows when you get, you're 70, but that feels Yeah, like. but then have you checked with the guy down the road? He might have done that already. So you need to, I have to check ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, Make I, sure. It's funny because along the way, I've had people that have been role models and and mentors from afar for me that have been older athletes that I've seen do amazing things. And, you know, you see that happen. You know, I don't know if you know, Lou Hollander is. Lou Hall, I was going to say Lou Hollander. Lou, yes. You know, for your people listening that don't know, Lou is this Ironman triathlete who was the first 80 plus year old. He was 82 at the time, I think to, to complete the Kona world championship Ironman course during, you know, and, and, you know, that means he's meeting all the same cutoffs that every other athlete is meeting at 82 years old, which is mm-hmm. unbelievable. Right? Unbelievable. But if you see people like that that are still doing it, to me, that says, okay, it's possible. Right. You know, so why can't I do it? You know, and, and so it, it really is inspiring. I, I go by the adage that you're you're not old until you use age as an excuse. Mm. And they're I like, like that. Use age as an excuse. You know, too, I can't do it. And that's like, you know, I, I don't even joke about it because I don't want to plant those right those seeds in my mind that I'm too old to do this. I'm just going to keep pushing myself in a smart way. You know, I, I realize things shift. I mean, I'm. It's much harder for me now than when I was 35 years old. Sure, but I, you know, I, I do what I can to train smart and take care of my body. I think. You know, one of my, you know, just uh, one of the, the concerns I had going into this was injury, right? 
because you injure, injure yourself any time along the way and everything you're done in a heartbeat, right? And I have really focused over the last 10 years on being what I call a Zen athlete. And it, it's really just paying attention to my body, being very mindful, being very present and not discounting things that I feel and ignoring them because I, I did that in my younger days and I ended up with some injuries that I didn't see too right away and they just got worse and worse. And a lot of runners and triathletes, you know, think they can, and they can, they can grit it out. Um, I did a, I was trained for a marathon in Richmond many, many years ago, 20 some years ago. And I partially tore my patella tendon. And um, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I knew I, I figured out along the way that it didn't hurt more when I ran or bike. It didn't get better, but I, I realized that the pain was something I could manage. And so I didn't want to go to the doctor because I knew the doctor would tell me, "Will you can't do the marathon. You need to right. you need to heal it." And I was being too stubborn to listen, you know, to my body. And so I, I decided to run the marathon anyway. And I knew it had to be for fun because I couldn't run as well as I wanted to. So I got a t-shirt and on the back of it, well, first I had a, I got a pink t tutu. <laughs> I got a tutu and I, on, on the t-shirt I wrote, I got a bum knee, shouldn't really run, but the marathon is just too, too fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I ran the marathon in a tutu. And then I went to the doctor Afterwards, and I, by this point, I'd had the injury for a, several months, and you know, by that time, scar tissue had built up, other issues, mm. up, and it was about eighteen months before I got to the point where I was where I was before the injury. Right. Right. And so that was the lesson I needed to learn at that time to go, okay, Will, you've got to learn to pay attention to your body. You've got to train smart. And, and not just hard, you know, you really have to, if you want to be in this for the long haul, if you want to be like Lou Hollander, you've got to, you know, train differently. And, and so I, I, I really credit, you know, no injuries over the last 10 years um, to really focusing on that and, and having that part of my just mindset. Yeah. It's so important. I know the there, I can always point to the days I've gotten injured or the couple of bike crashes I've had. The morning of, I there's something in my brain that's like, you just don't feel good. Right. You really ought to take the day off. It's like, no, push through it. And then the couple of times, like I tore my meniscus uh, a couple of years ago doing box jumps at CrossFit. I, I was addicted to CrossFit. I was going all the time and I had just gone like 12 days in a row and I, my body was wrecked. And I thought I really should take today off. No, no, I'm going to go. And that was the day I tore my meniscus. And it's like, I can always point back to, right. Right. there was something inside of me saying, you really shouldn't be doing this. And so now that yeah, I pay attention, you're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. The body's talking. And I'm going to come out of retirement in my 70s. That's when I'm going to go to Kona and I'm going to be cute. Because <laughs> right. okay. that's when I will be fast enough because everyone else will be injured and done. <laughs> I keep thinking that too. Um, <laughs> they keep getting faster though. <laughs> what? They keep getting faster though, those age groups. There's fewer people participating as you get older, but the ones you are left are like... They're fast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Oh my gosh. Well, Will, what do you want people to know? You wrote a book. Yes, we've got a uh, book. 
So I told you that, you know, Chris was with me throughout this journey and he was my Uber Sherpa. What I didn't tell you was that he is also an amazing photographer. So when I would post my race reports, he would, while we were out on the courses, he would go ahead of me and, and scout the, you know, what was coming up and he would be ready for me as I was going by and he would take, you know, amazing pictures. And along the way, as I did my race reports, people would be like, oh my God, these pictures are so amazing. They're beautiful. And of course we're doing it in these epic locations. Right. I had one of my good friends, probably about six months into it. And that's probably where Chris really started taking his photography up to the next level. And we were at the Tetons and, you know, the Tetons is a background. It can't get much, you know, more amazing than that. So this, this, this friend of mine on our Facebook post goes, oh my God, Chris, these pictures are so amazing. And she just gushed and gushed and gushed about Chris on her comment. And then at the end, she goes, oh, what you did was okay too, Will. <laughs> right. And, Good job, Will. <laughs> whatever. And I had to laugh because what soon happened was that Chris's photography started overshadowing everything else in a good way. But um, we, we put together a, a coffee table book only because we had people that were, you know, clamoring for one for, you know, most of our journey, just going, can you um, journey to 100? So the, the coffee table book is called journey to 100. You can get it at um, www.liveyourbold.com. Um, so that, you know, that came out of the journey and it kind of highlights there's in addition to the amazing pictures that are part of the journey, um, there is, some context for the story itself. I'm writing the the bigger story book now. You know, the, without the, not the picture book, the the, the, the picture book, word book, the, the deep dive <laughs> book. But the the journey to 100 definitely has a, enough of the story to really help you follow along and know what was what it was all about and where we went and kind of some of the highlights along the way. Yeah. Well, you are just amazing. I mean, ego, there's your ego, Pat. I'll give it to you. <laughs> Lord knows you deserve it. And I don't know about this Chris guy, but I feel like I don't want to, I don't want to meet up with him because I feel like he and I could be in trouble. Like <laughs> he's an instigator and I'm like, okay. Um, but just such a great story and just an inspiration. And I, I love your approach to aging. And I feel the same way. I mean, you know, I have so it's really interesting. I just turned 40 last year and there's this I've noticed kind of line in the sand that people draw at 40. Right. And it's like, oh, well, and I'm like, no, man, I'm coming out of this decade better because I was a mess in my 20s, the 30s. Yeah. I raised kids. I'm like, no, I'm getting progressively better until this is over. You know, that's just how I feel. And I don't want to hear it. I don't, I mean, am I as fast and do my knees feel as great as they did 20? No, no, but so but what? <laughs> I agree that, you know, doing the right things, you, I mean, I haven't, I haven't hit my, you know, I haven't hit my limit yet. I mean, I'm not as fast as I was a few years ago, but you know, I'm, I'm still out there, you know, doing my thing and, and having yeah. fun. I mean, that's part of it too. You've got to enjoy it. You've got to, find your, your, your why of what's important to you. To me, I love the growth that comes from it. The, the constantly pushing um, just gives me, you know, just fuels me um, in a way that other things don't. So I, I definitely have a, a, a real passion for it. Um, one thing I would love to leave your listeners with um, 
is something I often share with folks. And it's, it's one thing that I learned on the journey, which is, you know, I, I, it's, I guess it's more of a challenge. And the challenge would be for you to set a, a goal that is so bold that you have to grow into the person who can achieve it. Because I yeah. think if you do that along the way, you're going to find that you, there's so much more to you and so much more you're capable of that you, you never realized. And, and I so, love that. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that too. And when you set that goal, there's a lot of healing I've noticed too in the journey. And, yeah. and there's always this focus, I think, in our culture and in sports too, to get to the end. But the beauty is the journey. And as someone who's done 105 iron distance races, you yeah. can probably attest to that more than and, hitting your 105. I mean, and, the journey. And, and even if you set a bold goal, a big goal, um, and you don't make it, you're right. It's the journey that that's the, the magical part. You're going to change whether you, you know, I, I changed in that quintuple when I made it 696 miles, even though I didn't make it to yeah. the, you know, the, the end was technically it was a failure, but I looked at it as a success because I went up, you know, I went to a new place, you know, that, that I'd never been before. And, right. you know, I, you know, was I disappointed? Yes. But when I look back, I, I see it as a gift, you know, and I think, you know, with, with that growth mindset, you can either look at your failures as that's what defines me, or I look at your failures as how can I get up one more time and, and keep moving forward? And, and what, what do I learn in that experience? How can I get better, stronger, you know, more at peace with myself, whatever it might be to, to keep you know one step moving in front of the other. And I think one of the things that people give up on is, oh my gosh, that's going to take me forever to get there. And one of my favorite quotes that I always go back to is Earl Nightingale's never give up on a dream because of the time it will take to accomplish it because the time is going to pass anyway. Absolutely. And I, I just looking at my last decade, knowing if I hadn't been bold and tried to do a triathlon as an overweight mama too, with like right. not, so but, much wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And if you just keep waiting for it to be right. fine, you know, I think that's one thing great about, you know, it, it's it's horrible what we've been going through with the pandemic, you know, with COVID. But, you know, it, it has given us this opportunity to hit the reset button and, and really look at our lives and say, you know, what's really important? What do I, what do I want for, you know, moving forward? Because if you're in that rat race all the time and you're not looking up, you, you don't always figure that out. And if we don't take the time to stop and figure that out, then, you know, we're, we're just often on autopilot and we're really not figuring out what is the best life for us. What do we want that best life to be um, moving forward? Yeah. So good. So good. Well, where can everyone find you? Do you have a, a Facebook they can follow? Yeah. I'm, I'm personally on Facebook under Will Turner. Um, okay. I've got a Live Your Bold Facebook page and I've got a okay, Your Bold Instagram page. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Will. And we'll look forward to that 70th big goal of 700 <laughs> Ironmans in 45 days. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Meredith. Hi, everybody. Thanks to the sponsor, Active Detergent, of this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Don't forget to check them out at activedetergent.com. Use the code SWIMBIKEMOM for 20% off and free shipping to try it out. We really don't have to work out and start to smell our stinky clothes. There are solutions, and it's a very simple one. So check them out, activedetergent.com. 
code SWIMBIKEMOM, save that money and save your nose. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.